You're listening to Hardwired with Jeff Wickwire. Here's what's coming up in today's edition. We become impatient over the timing because one of the things that gets in there in our expectations is a timing factor. I prayed for this. Now, surely God's going to do it this week. And we put a timer on it. We put a timer on God answering our prayer. We have an assumption that God's going to do it in a certain amount of time. So we believe he's going to do it in a day, but he decides to do it in a week or in a month or a year or even in years, plural. Have you ever felt lost after you pray? Are there times when you don't know when or if you'll ever hear from God? When you're in these times of abandonment, what do you do? Today, Pastor Jeff wants you to know that when you go to God in prayer, you need to do your part and patiently wait for His answer. It's easy to feel impatient and want to know as soon as possible what God has for you. But you need to remain diligent in knowing that He will always answer. Let God answer your prayers in His own timing. Well, let's join Pastor Jeff in the book of Psalms, chapter 37, as he begins his message, Now That You've Prayed. As important as it is to pray, it's just as important how you deal with your attitude and how you deal with your, just the way you have postured yourself after prayer. In other words, after prayer, how do you wait on God to answer it? After prayer, I've noticed that a lot of times we pray about something, we pray in the will of God, but God has another plan on how to work it all out. It takes longer than we thought. And a lot of times we faint before the answer comes. You know what's really rough? Somebody else gets your answer. I hate that. I did all the praying and they get the answer. So today I want to talk to you about, I'm just going to call this today, now that you've prayed. Now, I want to read to you, if you were to open my Bible The most worn out page in my Bible, it looks brown, I've turned it so much. It's just used, this one page. And it's a psalm. And it's a psalm out of what I'm gonna read to you today. It's the most worn out page in my Bible. I've read this psalm so many times uh, and it has become such a pattern of living for me that uh, I wanna share some of it with you today. So it's Psalm 37 and let's just read. Now this is David talking about what to do when you're feeling vexed and when you're feeling like the wicked are prospering. And after you have prayed, how do you walk after you've prayed, now that you've prayed? So here's what he says. Do not fret because of those who are evil or be envious of those who do wrong. Amen? For like the grass, they will soon wither. Like green plants, they will soon die away. Now here comes David's counsel by the Holy Ghost. Verse 3. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him, and he will do this. What's the this? Give you the desires of your heart. Verse 6, he will make your righteous reward shine like the dawn, your vindication like the noonday sun. Be still before the Lord. Another version says, rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him to act. Now, let me just talk to you just truthfully about prayer. When we pray, we invariably have a picture in our minds of how God is going to answer. Have you ever realized that? You pray, and you've got a picture in your mind of how the whole thing is going to go down when God answers. And that picture sets a series of expectations. When we have this picture, 
then we get expectations from the picture in our mind. Our imagination gives us a set of expectations. So that if God decides to answer differently than what we're expecting, it really throws us. You ever been thrown by the way God answered a prayer? How many of you can say, I prayed for one thing and he did it, but he answered in a way I did not expect? Amen? And sometimes we can even miss his answer because we're looking over here when God is answering over there. Or we want him to do it this way and he chooses to do it that way. Amen? And we think he's going to use this person, but he decides to use that person, somebody we thought he would never use. We think we're going to walk through this door, but he opens up that door. In other words, God cannot be put in a box. Can I have an amen? God cannot be put in a box. And because we have finite minds that are very limited, we see through a glass darkly, Paul said, then because of that, we often anticipate the way God is going to do something, but he's an infinite, all-knowing, omnipresent, omniscient, omnipotent God, and our little pea brains usually cannot conceptualize the way that he's going to answer our prayers or the way he's going to lead and guide our life. You can't put him in a box. As soon as you get him in a box, he breaks out of the box, like Jack in the box. Boom. And he does something different. Or here's one for sure, after we prayed, we become impatient over the timing, because one of the things that gets in there in our expectations is a timing factor. I've prayed for this, now surely God's going to do it this week, and we put a timer on it. We put a timer on God answering our prayer. We have an assumption that God's going to do it in a certain amount of time. So we believe he's going to do it in a day, but he decides to do it in a week or in a month or a year or even in years, plural. So here's the deal. Prayer requires us to leave the outworking of the answer to him. Amen? Prayer requires us to leave the outworking of the answer to him. Because sometimes we pray right, but the way he chooses to answer, we've got all wrong. And so we got to leave the outworking of the answer to God because false assumptions, folks, can really get in the way of God answering our prayers. False assumptions. Mary Martha sent messengers to Jesus to tell him that their brother was sick. Now, they had assumptions. They had expectations. They believed that as soon as Jesus heard it, he'd come running. Read the story yourself in John 11. As soon as Jesus heard it, he would come running, but Jesus turned to his disciples and said, this sickness is not unto death, but of the glory of God. And then he just sat there and waited. He waited four long days. And with every day that went by, the sister's assumptions were blown to bits. They believed he would come running, lay hands on Lazarus, who he loved like, like a brother, and heal him. But he did not. And Lazarus grew worse and worse, and the whole thing did not look anything like they assumed it would. And then... Of all things, Lazarus finally died. And the sisters were offended. They stumbled. They experienced a scandal in their spirits because Jesus waited and did not do what they expected him to do. It didn't go down the way they thought. Jesus walks up and they said, Lord, if only you had been here. They had yesterday faith. If you'd been here, nothing would have happened. If you had been here, he would not have died. If you had been here. And then the other sister had a tomorrow faith. She said, oh, I know he's going to rise in the resurrection. One of them had a yesterday faith. One of them had a someday faith. But Jesus 
had a today faith. Jesus said, roll away the stone and I'm gonna raise him from the dead today. Did I not tell you, if you would believe, you would see the glory of God. And so Jesus did something more spectacular, more incredible, more wonderful than anything they could possibly have imagined. They raised Lazarus from the dead. He's one of the few people in history that got two funerals. Amen. When I was a little boy, my parents asked me one Christmas, they said, now what do you want Santa to bring you? And I said to my parents, I said, I want a train. I had decided I was fascinated with trains. I'd been looking at pictures or something, and I, and I said, I, I want a train. Now, when I asked for that train, my dad said, we'll see what Santa will do. They told me about Santa and all that. We'll see what Santa will do. Now, I had a picture in my head. I had a picture that Santa was going to come. And Christmas morning, when I went down to the tree, that there was going to be a, a little present under there for me, and I was going to open it up, and in that present, there was going to be some kind of a toy train. There was going to be some kind of a toy train, and I was going to get it out and play with it like little boys do. And so I was very excited. I remember Christmas morning getting up. I was up at the crack of dawn. I beat my parents down to the tree. I flew through every gift that was down there, and none of them were a train, and I was so disappointed that there was no train. And my parents could see it. I had some neat little toys, but no train. And my dad said, well, Jeff, come with me and mother down to the cellar because I think Santa might have brought you one more thing. And so I remember I led the way and my parents were behind me and I opened up the door of the cellar and I flipped on the light. And when I flipped on the light and the light came on in front of me was this beautiful full Lionel electric train. And when I flipped on the light, it began to chug, 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 chug. There were mountains, there were hills, there were tunnels for it to go through. It had a little smokestack. You put a pill down there and a little smoke came out of the smokestack. There was a locomotive, there were boxcars, there was a caboose. There was a little guy in the caboose waving at me. And it went and it took off and it was just this incredible, incredible thing. And what I realized is when I asked my father for a train, he began to work in a way that I could never have dreamed. He began to put together a picture and an answer I could never have imagined. My dad did exceeding abundantly above all that I could ask for or even think of. And as a little boy, I realized that once I made the request, my dad decided to do way better than just a gift under the tree. He said, I'm going to give him a train like he hasn't even dreamed. My father went to work for me behind the scenes in ways that I was never aware of. And he put together an answer I could never have imagined. And so that it blessed me exceedingly beyond any way I could ever have been blessed. I lived in that cellar for months just playing with that train. And I want you to know that when we ask God for something, oftentimes we picture a little present under the tree, but he's got a better idea. He's got a better plan. It's a bigger plan. It's a stronger plan. It is beyond our imagination, and he's working behind the scenes in ways that we cannot know. Amen? That we're not aware of. And so I want you to realize today that it's very, very important that once we ask God, once we pray about something, that we know how to wait on God, the attitude we're to have, how we're to walk between the asking and the answer, the promise and the provision. How do we walk between those things 
with the right attitude so that when the answer comes, we have been waiting in faith, not in doubt, not in impatience, not in giving up, but we have been waiting in faith for God to answer. And the answer is in the psalm we read. Now, I want to just take four things this psalm told us. It says, between the asking and the answer, between the promise and the provision, the first thing we are told to do is trust God. Can you say with me, trust him? Let's say it like we really mean it. Trust him. David writes, trust in the Lord. Once you've prayed, trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness. Now, he says that prayer must begin with trust in the God who is faithful. Listen, you're not going to pray to a God that you can't trust. You're not going to expect something from him if you don't trust him. Trusting God is the beginning of all prayer. All prayer rests on trust in the character and the person of God. Are you with me? If you don't trust him, forget prayer. You got to trust him. You got to trust your spouse. If you're going to walk with somebody, you got to trust them. If you've got a friend, you've got to trust that friend because, listen, relationship is built on trust. Am I wrong or am I right? Relationship is built on trust. If you lose trust, there is no relationship. You've got to trust the person you're relating to, friends, spouses, children, whoever you're in a relationship with. When you lose trust, the relationship has hydrochloric acid poured on it. It will not survive. It will fall apart if trust is gone. And so all prayer begins with trust. The weeds of worry grow in the soil of mistrust in God. When trust falters, faith wilts because faith stands on what we believe about God. See, I tell you all the time, kind of a broken record with this, but I know that it's so crucial to your walk with the Lord. It matters what you and I believe about God. What do you believe about God? You have beliefs about him. You have concepts about him. You have drawn conclusions about him. What do you believe about the God that we worship today, the God who we claim sent his only begotten son? What do you believe about that God? Is he trustworthy? Is he a God of his word? Does he keep his promises? See, our answers to those questions decide the strength of our faith. Our faith is built on what we believe about God. If I believe he's a healer, I'm going to believe him to heal me. If I believe that he is a guider, I'm going to believe him to guide me. If I believe he's a savior, I'm going to believe him to save me. If I believe he has a chokehold on the devil and that he has defeated the devil, I'm going to believe him to defeat the devil in my life. If I believe that he is a deliverer, I'm going to believe him to deliver me. See, it matters what you believe about God. If I believe he's some mean, angry uh, God up there with a furrowed brow and steam coming out his ears and he's mad at me most of the time, then I'm not going to come to him to pray. I'm going to duck and dodge him. I'm going to avoid him. It matters what we believe about God. This is why God continuously assures us of his trustworthy character in the Bible. The Bible tells us all the time how trustworthy he is. Let me just read some verses to you. Deuteronomy 7, verse 9, Know therefore that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant. Now notice, he's telling us, your God, the God of the Bible, is faithful. He's faithful. He's faithful. He will not let you down. 
Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. Amen. 2 Thessalonians 3, verse 3. But the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. 1 Corinthians 1, God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Do you hear the word over and over again? The God we worship is faithful. He won't let you down. He won't break his promise. He won't drop you in tough times. When everybody else walks out, he'll walk in. Come on, everybody. He's faithful. Here's one of our favorites. No temptation has taken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. He is faithful to do what? He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability to endure it, but with the temptation, he will provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it, and you can count on that because he is faithful. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What is the character of God like? Listen to this. God is not a man. Everybody say, thank God. God is not a man. How many have ever had a man or a woman fail you? The rest of you, I don't know what planet you're living on. But I want you to look what it says about God. He's not a man that he should lie or a son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said, and will he not do it? Has he spoken, and will he not fulfill it? It's a rhetorical question, and the answer is, of course, if he promised it, he's going to do it. If he said it, he's a God of his word, and you can depend on him every time. When the chips are down, you can depend on him. He's not a man that he can lie. There are some things that are indeed impossible with God. One of them is he can't lie. Another one is he can't break his word. He will not break his word. So David first says, listen, after you have prayed, after you have prayed, you've been in there in the place of prayer, you've been in the prayer closet, you have bombarded heaven about certain things, you've asked God to provide, do this, do that, lead you, guide you, help you, provide for you, do whatever, deliver you, heal you. And after you have come out of that prayer closet, David says, first thing, now trust God. Walk in trust. And then he says, second, after you have prayed, delight in him. He says, delight yourself also in the Lord. And look at the connection. And he will give you. Everybody say give you. Now this is talking about prayer. He will give you the desires of your heart. Notice how delighting in him and answered prayer are entwined together. They're connected. If I delight in God, he says he's going to give me the desires of my heart. Now let me talk to you about this. How can you delight in a God you can't see? Because to delight in somebody, you got to find out who they are. you got to find out what they're like. You've got to get to know them. Now, let me ask you a question. Can I know God? Can you and I know God? Come on, talk to me. Can we know God? Can we know God? All right. How do we know God? Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Look at me, Jesus said, look at me. Because if you've seen me, you have seen the Father. Now, how do we know God? We know God through Jesus Christ, and we know God by what the Bible tells us about God. I just read you several things about God. See, for me to delight in somebody, I got to know if they're delightful. How am I going to know if they're delightful so I can delight in them? I've got to get to know them. So when it comes to delighting in God, and we are commanded, he says, delight yourself. He didn't say pray about it. 
He didn't say, let me make a suggestion. He said, if you want God to give you the desires of your heart, if you want to increase answers to your prayer, then after you have prayed, focus on him and delight yourself in God. Let him be your delight. Well, that must mean he's delightful. Can we say together, God's delightful. If he's not delightful, I can't delight in him. But he's delightful. When we see what the Bible tells us about God, it is so easy to delight in him because actually the God of the Bible is not a scary, mean, fire-breathing God, but he is delightful and can be delighted in. Let me read some things. First of all, I see in the Bible he's a merciful and a loving God. Now, if he's a human being, and I'm getting to know a human being, and this person is merciful and loving, I've already found something I can delight in in that person. Amen? If you've got a friend that's merciful and loving, if you've got a spouse merciful and loving, or children or parents or whatever, merciful and loving, then I've already found something I can delight in. Listen to what it says about God. His compassion never ends. It never ends. His compassion never stops. There's never a day or an hour or a minute or a second where the compassion of God stops. He says, it is only the Lord's mercies that have kept us from complete destruction. How many of you know that's true? Great is his faithfulness. His loving kindness begins afresh each day. Oh my, this God that we love and that we serve, his loving kindness, his mercies are new every morning. He's got mercy for you every morning that wasn't there the day before. You might as well use up today's mercies because there's some new mercies coming tomorrow. Because he gives every morning that when we wake up, his mercies are new, fresh, freshly sent. Like the manna was on the ground every single morning when they got up and went out of their tents and gathered the manna in their wilderness wanderings, the children of Israel. In the same way, when we wake up, we need to realize and get it on our minds. I serve a God who is so delightful that he has laid aside mercies and compassion for me today that are brand spanking new. Brand spanking new. Great is his faithfulness. His loving kindness begins fresh each day. You know, every day, God says, I love you. I love you. I believe your loved ones in your life, you need to tell them every day you love them. Tell them every day you love them. Every day, tell your spouse you love them. Tell your children you love them. Tell the people you hold close that you love them. Because you never know when they could be gone. And if we, being imperfect, can say to our loved ones, I love you every day, then how about the delightful God we're to delight in? Because he tells us right here, every day, I'm telling you first thing in the morning, I love you. So how about we just wake up and say, Lord, I know you've told me I love you, so I want to love you back. Try this, I love you more. He'll say, no, you don't do that, because I love you more. But tell God every day you love him, because every day he tells you, Fresh and new, I love you. That's our delightful God. He's a delightful God. Now, he's a giving God. If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give? Everybody say give. What does he give? What is good to those who ask him? Every good and every perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights, James said in whom there is no variableness nor shadow of change. Every day, our God is a giving God. Now, that's delightful. Now, if I'm hanging around with somebody who every day gives me something, I'm delighted. Amen? 
I'm delighted. Now, if a person can make me feel that way, what about God? Can we say again, my God is delightful, so I can delight in him. Amen. Can we give him a hand of praise today? Come on, everybody. He's delightful. Are you always open to God's plan for your life? When you hear God knocking on the door, do you always let him in? Today in his message, Pastor Jeff showed us that just as a father goes above and beyond for his children, God's blessings are beyond your imagination. Trusting in his divine plan, you open yourself to experiences that will always exceed expectation. God's blessings are uniquely tailored to you, unveiling his boundless love and providence. We'd love for you to have additional resources. Here's Diane with more. Are you interested in partnering with us here at Hardwired? We'd love for you to come alongside us in supporting this ministry. All you have to do is text 817-484-4767 and enter the word GIVE to donate. That number once more is 817-484-4767 and text GIVE. Thanks so much for prayerfully considering this today. And thanks for listening. Daniel has more to tell you about what's ahead on the upcoming edition. As you walk with Jesus, do you let the assurance of God's unchanging faithfulness guide you? Do you seek after His promises? While human commitments may falter, God's assurances remain unshakable. His faithfulness stands as an unbreakable foundation, and His promises endure for eternity. Rest assured in the certainty of your inheritance, knowing that God's Word is steadfast and true. In times of uncertainty, always lean on His promises. That's all the time we have for today. Thanks for tuning in for this edition of Hardwired with Jeff Wickwire. You can listen to more messages from this and other books of the Bible by visiting hardwired.org. Join us next time to continue our study in the book of Psalms right here on Hardwired.